We're beginning a new series this morning. Um, For the next several weeks, we're going to be working our way through this middle portion of the Gospel of Luke. Um, And if you're not used to reading the Bible or you're not familiar with the Bible, Luke was, uh, well, he was a historian. He was a doctor, in fact. And at the start of his Gospel, he tells us that he based the account that we're reading on meticulous research and on many, many conversations that he had with eyewitnesses, the people who were there with Jesus to hear the sorts of things that he said and to see the sorts of things which he did. So what we're reading actually is real history. And if you stick around for the next few weeks, we're going to basically be working our way through this middle, these middle chapters of Luke's gospel, if you like, Jesus, the middle years, after he'd grown up and become a man, before he went to the cross. He spent about three years going around, uh, doing things and teaching, and that's what we're going to be looking at. And we're beginning this morning with that episode that we've just read that took place, uh, if you like, in Jesus' sort of career that nobody who ever witnessed it could forget. He performed a dramatic exorcism on a demon-possessed man. The demons left the man and then took possession of a huge herd of pigs who rushed off a cliff and were drowned. It's a crazy thing to imagine, isn't it? It must have been crazy to watch. And clearly it made a huge impact on those who were there and who did witness it because it's recorded actually in three out of the four Gospels. This is Luke, but it's also in Matthew's Gospel and in Mark's Gospel. It, It really impacted them, what Jesus did here. Well, why are we reading it this morning? Uh, you know, if you're just here visiting us this morning, perhaps here to support Johnny and Rebecca and the kids, uh, and maybe you're not used to sort of coming to church, you might think, what a crazy story. What on earth has it got to do with us in 2022 in Melksham? Uh, and if you're a regular member of the congregation, I guess you might be thinking the same thing. To be honest, that's what I was thinking. When I sat down to look at this at the start of this week, I thought, what on earth can we say about this story? But the more I've looked at it, the more I've actually thought, what an amazing thing it was that took place here. And the more I think that as we get under the surface, we'll see that what happened, it was terrifying. Uh, It was bizarre. But it was ultimately for this man, who was at the centre of it all, completely life-transforming. And I think it's a wonderful message for us this morning. So uh, we're going to dive into it. And uh, it follows, if you turn back to the start of it on the previous page, immediately after what took place the previous episode, uh, if you can see up to verse 22, it says that's when Jesus calmed the storm. We probably all uh, know the story of Jesus calming the storm. And that story finishes up. They're in a boat on the lake. In verse 25, it finishes with them being blown away by Jesus calming the storm. In fear and amazement, they ask one another, who is this? Who is this? They can't believe what Jesus has done, and they're asking themselves, what kind of person could do this? And what follows after, immediately after, um, we get a bit of an answer, a glimpse into the answer to that question, who Jesus is. In fact, the man tells us technically who Jesus is in verse 28. He says, what do you want to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? And Luke is telling us that's who Jesus is. He's the son of the most high God. And what we're going to do, we're going to go through this story and we're going to see what that means of who Jesus is. We'll see it means three things for us today. Jesus, son of the most high God, he cares about every individual. He's powerful over evil and he will set you free. He cares about everybody. He's powerful and he'll set us free. So first of all, it tells us Jesus, son of the most high God, cares about everyone. Have a look at verse 26. Verse 26. 
Look down, verse 26, it says, the story starts off, they sailed immediately after having had the storm calmed to the region of the Gerasenes, which is across the lake from Galilee. So this is telling us that this guy was from the wrong side of the tracks, or if you like, the wrong side of the lake. Uh, the place where they went to in Israel is called the Golan Heights. And if you know anything about what's going on in the Middle East, you'll know that the Golan Heights are disputed territory. Um, in fact, they are technically part of Syria, but they are occupied by Israel. I went there about 15 years ago, and you can see the remains of burnt-out tanks, and there are signs warning you about mines. It's a sketchy place to go. It's a sketchy place now, and it's always been that way. It's always been disputed territory. And for a Jew, which Jesus was a Jew, this was Gentile territory. In other words, where they went was the wrong side of the tracks. But did Jesus care about that? No. He didn't care where he's from. He didn't care whether anybody else liked him, whether he was popular. This man was a social outcast, wasn't he? Look down at verse 27. For a long time, this man had not worn clothes or lived in a house. So he was naked and he was homeless. But did Jesus care about that? No. Verse 29 over the page says that many times uh, the spirit had seized him and though he was chained hand and foot and kept under guard, he'd broken his chains. He was chained up. And he'd got a guard watching over him. Can you imagine what the community, the society who lived in that town must have thought? I bet they all knew exactly who this guy was. I bet they all knew his name. And I bet nobody talked to him because he was chained up and watched over by a guard. But did Jesus care about that? No. He didn't care that he was unclean. Um, It says in verse 27 that he lived in the tombs. Now, in, in that society... A dead body was unclean. He didn't go near a dead body. And it also says in verse 32 that he lived where there was a load of pigs. And again, if you're, if you're a Jew, it doesn't get much more unclean than that. It doesn't get much worse than a pig-swilling tomb raider. But did Jesus care about that? No. What he cared about was this man. He didn't care where he was from, what he'd done, or whether anyone else liked him. It's actually amazing to think, why did Jesus even go to this place? He'd never been there before, according to the Gospels. We never went there again. The only person he dealt with whilst he was in this new place was this one guy. And the only explanation I can think of is that he went deliberately out of his way because this one poor soul needed his help. And what I think that says to us this morning is that no matter who you are, Jesus cares about you. You might think, I don't know what I'm doing here. I'm not, I've been born in the wrong place. I haven't got the right background. You might think, the things I've done, Jesus wouldn't want anything to do with me. You might think, I'm not the sort of person who people like to ask over to their house. God, I can't even come into this church building this morning. But the amazing thing is that if this guy was precious to Jesus, then we are precious to him as well. Jesus says elsewhere, are not two sparrows sold for a penny? 
and yet not one of them will fall to the ground outside of your father's care. He cares about the sparrows. Even the hairs of your head are all numbered. So don't be afraid. You are worth to him much more than the birds. And if this man was precious to Jesus, then so are you. Jesus is the son of the most high God. He cares about you firstly, but secondly, it shows us that he is supremely powerful over evil. Supremely powerful. If there's one thing I think this encounter shows us, it's the reality of evil, isn't it? Uh, verse 27 says that this man was demon-possessed. Now, I don't know what you think of that. Uh, many people today don't believe in the devil. Few people believe in God in this country. Even fewer believe in a personal devil. So perhaps you're a little bit sceptical as you read this about whether there is actually such a thing as demonic forces or evil spirits or the power of darkness. That's what many people think. Um, and I suppose that's fair enough if they want to think that. Uh, on that explanation, there's no real reason why bad things happen. It's just the way things are. It's just the world we live in. It's just, in a sense, bad luck. Uh, the fact that the economy is so shot to hell that people can't afford to live. Uh, the fact that the man who's leading the country is apparently so unethical that his second ethics advisor has just resigned and they're considering abolishing the post of ethics advisor. The fact that American kids are shooting each other to bits with machine guns. Uh, the fact that residents of a European democracy are continuing to flee from an invading tyrannical dictator. I suppose this story makes us ask the question, is that really all bad luck, just bad luck? One wise man said that the greatest trick that the devil ever pulled is persuading people that he doesn't exist. But I think he does. And Johnny and the godparents do as well, because a moment ago I asked them whether they reject the devil and the deceit and the corruption of evil. I'm glad they said they did, because the scripture says that actually evil is real. It isn't just random, the bad things which happen in the world. It is personal. But it also says that Jesus is supremely powerful over evil. He's supremely powerful. He's just calmed the storm in the previous episode, so we know he's got power over the laws of nature. He's now demonstrating his power over evil. And some evil it is, actually. It's like a movie, isn't it? As you picture this scene, can you imagine how terrifying it must have been for the people watching? I mean, just remember, actually, bear in mind the guy's naked for a start. I mean, that's quite hardcore, isn't it? And he's screaming, it says in verse 28, um, shouting at the top of his lungs. I mean, I read that in quite a neutral voice as I read it just then. He cried out and shouted at the top of his voice, what do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I expect it was a bit louder and more terrifying than that to hear. I and mean, I think if it was you or me, and we just rode across the lake, and we found ourselves somewhere we'd never been before, and we thought, oh, why don't we pop over here? Let's see what we find as we step ashore. And we were meted by, met by this guy, naked, screaming at us. I suspect we probably would have got back in our boat and got our disciples uh, to row as hard as they can back the way we came. But not Jesus. Look at the word it uses to describe what Jesus did in verse 29. It said Jesus commanded the impure spirit to come out of the man. Yeah, he didn't kind of try to persuade the impure spirit to come out. He commanded it like he was in charge, like he was some sort of SWAT team evicting an illegal tenant. 
He was completely in control. In verse 30, don't you wait like this? The way he asked him his name. Jesus asked him, what's your name? Like a headmaster rebuking a recalcitrant, a recalcitrant schoolboy. What's your name? In verse 20, what, 31, the demons beg Jesus not to order them to go into the abyss. I mean, it's not that Jesus is afraid of the demons. The demons are afraid of Jesus. In verse 32, they want to go into the pigs. They've got to ask his permission. Now, it's absolutely clear who's in control of this situation, isn't it? I don't know what you're going through in your life. What kind of situation you find yourself in this morning. This is quite an extreme situation. I suspect that perhaps for most of us, we've never been through anything quite as dramatic as this. But the chances are that in a room with this many people in it, there are probably a number here who are going through absolute hell right now. And the chances are that it'll probably be our turn sooner or later to really go through it. Wouldn't you like to have somebody with you, a saviour, who is in control and who is powerful, who is actually able to do as we ask him to do in the Lord's Prayer and deliver us from evil. And we walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Don't we want somebody, the good shepherd, to be with us, to comfort us and to protect us? Who is Jesus? Who is this man? He's the son of the most high God. He cares about you. He's supremely powerful. And third and finally, he can set you free. Look at verse 34. When those tending the pigs saw what happened, they ran off and told everyone. They reported it in the town, the countryside. All the people wanted to come out and see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they found the man from whom the demons had gone out, sitting at Jesus' feet, dressed and in his right mind. Isn't that lovely? What an amazing sentence. He was dressed, get some clothes on, and in his right mind complete transformation. His life was never the same again. And Jesus can do the same for you, whatever situation you are in. One of the things that we're going to see as we continue our journey through the Gospel of Luke, Luke is always, he doesn't, he's not just reporting these events randomly. He's got a purpose in telling us. And he's always pointing forward to the end of the story. He's always got his eye towards the climax of his Gospel What is it which happens at the climax of the story? Well, Jesus, ultimately, he would be taken outside the town to a solitary place. Jesus would ultimately be looked upon as an outcast, despised and rejected. Jesus would be stripped naked. Jesus would be bound hand and foot. Jesus would be placed in a tomb and kept under guard so that we could be free. Jesus died so that we might have life. He was bound so that we could have freedom. Freedom from guilt, freedom from sin, freedom from shame, freedom from the power of darkness, freedom from the oppression of evil. And this man got a taste of that freedom, and so may we. I've seen it countless times. Lives transformed when Jesus has set people free. Free from addiction, free from fear, free from destructive patterns of behaviour. And there will come a day when we will be totally free. When all of the powers of darkness, in fact, will be cast into another lake. A lake of burning fire. And those who have placed their trust in Jesus, the Son of the Most High God, will be free from death 
and hell forever. And you may be here this morning thinking, if only I could be free. But Jesus says, if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. So how will we respond as we go out into the rest of our day, as we go off to a great party over Spencer's and celebrate with these guys? How will you respond? There's really only two responses to Jesus. He's not vanilla. You know, indifference isn't really a legitimate reaction to what Jesus does. He's not vanilla, he's Marmite. Really, actually, as we see, as we go through Luke's gospel, you'll see you either love him or hate him. One response is in verse 37. All the people of the region of the Gerasenes asked Jesus to leave them because they were overcome with fear. And you know, this morning, if you've come along this morning and you, you've seen Jesus and you've thought, actually, do you know what? I don't want anything to do with him. I'm not interested in religion. I don't really want to come back to church. This isn't for me. Jesus won't foist himself upon you. It says at the end of that verse that he just got into the boat and left because he's kind. Of course, he'll respect your wishes. But there's a much better response and that's verse 38. The man from whom the demons had gone out begged to go with him. Of course he did. He wanted to give his life to Jesus. He wanted to do as Johnny and the kids have just done and be baptised and commit his life to Jesus' cause. He wanted to be in his presence. And Jesus had got a better idea. Jesus sent him away saying, no, return home. That's where he needed to go. Return home and tell how much God has done for you. And the man went away and told all over the town how much God God had done for him? No, how much Jesus had done for him. The two are interchangeable because Jesus is the son of the most high God. And he became a witness, a witness to Jesus' liberation from bondage. Perhaps he was even one of the witnesses who Luke interviewed in preparation to write his gospel. We don't know. How will we respond? This is what Jesus can do for us. He's the son of the most high God. He cares about you. He's supremely powerful and he can set you free. So let's pray as we respond.